you were to be asked this morning or this afternoon or this week by someone whom you came in contact with, what is the difference between secular and sacred? How would, you, how would you define that to them? More than likely, you would define it in such a way that, that 20th century and 21st century Christianity has done it. You would say, well, the sacred is what takes place in the church, and the secular is what takes place out of the church. There's been this splitting of the two in such a way that it's almost like they don't ever touch. One writer call that, I love the way he put it, he said, too many Christians today live as if they have a spiritual form of what is now called dissociative identity disorder. In the past, previously known as a split personality disorder. And the point the writer was making was that we live in a, a time in our day where it seems like we, we live in two different worlds and we separate those two, we box those two out and they never touch each other. We have the secular, which is Monday through Saturday, where we live out in the world, and we have the sacred, which we come together for one, two, maybe sometimes three hours on a Sunday, and maybe again a little bit on a Wednesday night, and we say, okay, we're stepping out of the secular into the sacred. And, and Malachi is concerned that that's what is taking place even in his day, in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today. That is not a Christian view, a Christian world view of how the world operates or should operate, especially among believers. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, that last verse of chapter 2, which we read last Sunday uh, along with the other and talking about covenants and keeping covenant before the Lord. And, and this Sunday, we're going to look at it as a beginning passage, starting with verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. Probably reading 1 through 6, mainly because of a psalm that we read during the, here of the Scripture responsive reading this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Malachi writes, You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied the Lord? How have we wearied Him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Behold, God says, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, that's lie, against those who oppress the wage earner, take advantage of those in, in their wages, the widow and the orphan, those who, who oppress the widow and the orphan, 
and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. We heard in Psalm 102, verse 27, that the Lord does not change. He is the same. His character never changes. His, his purposes do not change. He is a God who is, who is a God of purpose and a God of redemption and a God of purifying and a God of judgment and all the things you want to add to that. Our God never, ever changes. And so it's important that we see what Malachi is wanting us to see, what God is wanting us to see through his prophet Malachi as he speaks here. Now understand, he starts out in verse 17 by saying, you wearied me. I asked the question in the sermon title today, have you ever wearied God? Now, understand that's a symbolic statement. That's probably a hyperbole of a statement to talk about God. We know that God is a God who does not slumber. He does not sleep. He does not get tired. He, and so this idea of wearying God is not so much that God just becomes exhausted with us, although certainly I could understand if he did, but it's about God just becoming, if you will, exasperated sometimes with his people. And, and, and the question is very, I mean, the, the accusation is very simple. You, you've wearied me. You've wearied the Lord with your words. Your words say one thing, your, your lives uh, say another or live out another. And when the words and the lifestyle does not compare, does not match up, there is a certain disassociation there that comes in the Christian life. We, we look at our world and wonder, why is it that Christianity is not spreading like it used to? Why is it that the, the people outside of our buildings don't, don't hear the gospel like they used to hear it and, and rejoice in hearing the gospel even if they didn't accept it and believe it? Why is it they're so turned off to it? Why are they so shut out of it? And it might very well be because God's people, even in our day, have done what they did in Malachi's day, and that is they wearied the Lord with their words. There's a, a lack of agreement between lifestyle, worldview, and the words we speak. And, and that's a serious matter that we must take into account as we listen to what God says to his people then and what he says to you and me today. One of the things I think Malachi wants us to see is that because of the people's words, the, the people had ignored God's words and God's word, and because of that, they were, they were getting further and further away from God's will. They, they just said, you know, we, we'll do our own thing, we'll say our own thing. I mean, they said some pretty strong things there, you know. Said everyone, they said everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or they says, where is the God of justice? There's, there's really a, almost a, a contradiction there in what they're saying, according to Malachi. They're saying, oh, well, you know, there is no right and wrong. There is no good and bad. There is no evil and good. It's, it's all just a matter of of semantics, what we might call today a, a postmodern worldview, or what we might call today relativism. They were just saying, hey, there, there, you know, the, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. The Lord loves everybody, no matter who they are, what they've done, or what they're doing. Doesn't matter. It's just a matter of God is love, and so everything's all right. God's pleased with those who even do evil. Malachi says that wearies the Lord. Or they turn around and say, kind of like what Habakkuk did in his prophecy, why doesn't God do something? 
Why doesn't God bring judgment upon these people? We, we see them doing evil, and, and they're, they're getting by with it. They're prospering. The, the psalmist in Psalm 73 said, you know, I look around me, and I see how the evil are prospering, and I've kept my hands clean, and I've kept my heart pure, and I've sought to be obedient to God. Have I done all that in vain? Have I just believed God and obeyed God in vain? Why, the, the wicked are, are just prospering like crazy. Why doesn't God bring judgment upon them? I mean, that's the same question that some of the people in Malachi they were saying, well, where is the God of justice? Where is the God to do justice on these people? And so there's a confusion among the people of God about what God ought to be doing, in their opinion, and what He is doing, what they're not seeing. And, and it's a matter of just, honestly, the world has no hope to see the truth and the reality of the living God if God's people are so confused about it. I was reading last week an essay by C.S. Lewis. It's one of his lesser-known essays, but it's found in one of his little book of essays. And I, was, I found it interesting. It's entitled, uh, Modern Man and His Categories of Thought. And just listen to this. I'm going to read just a small part. But it's important, I think, for where we are today. Lewis says, The earliest missionaries, the apostles, preached to three sorts of men, to Jews, to those Judaizing Gentiles who were technically uh, Judaizers, and to pagans. In all three classes, they could count on certain predispositions which we can't count on in our audience today. All three classes believed in the supernatural. Even the Epicureans, though they thought the gods were inoperative, all had a consciousness of sin, all were conscious of sin, and they all feared divine judgment. Uh, it talks about Epicurism by the very fact that it promised liberation from that fear proves its prevalence. The mystery religions offered purification and release, and in all three classes, most men believed that the world had once been better than it is now. The Jewish doctrine of the fall, the Stoic conception of the golden age, and the common pagan reference for a reverence for heroes, ancestors, and ancient lawgivers were all, in this respect, more or less agreed. He said, listen, the apostles at least had a, a, a culture that understood those three things. They understood there was a God. They understood that he was a judging God, and they feared him for whatever reason. And they all understood that man had this fall in him, one way or another, and, and woman too, by the way, in, in which there was a sense of sin, a sense of disobedience. Lewis said, and remember, Lewis is writing this in the 1940s. Lewis said, we don't have that anymore. And part of the reason we don't have that anymore, I believe, is because the church has failed to live out in the community and in the culture what the church is to show who Christ is and who God is and what his glory is to be. The church, because their words and their life has not been in agreement, has moved further and further away from God's will. We still meet. We still go through motions. We still say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a member of Grace Baptist Church. I'm a member of whatever church. We all go through the motions. But the reality of the faith is missing. That's what Malachi is getting to here. Another thing about this passage is, it seems that they spoke their words to one another and not to God. 
It's like they talked to each other, but they didn't talk to God. They say, where is God? Where is the God of justice? Why, why isn't God doing this? You know, or, 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 you know, God, you're, you're doing all right because God loves you no matter what evil is in your life. And, and he delights in you because he's just that kind of God. But they weren't talking to him about his character. They weren't talking to him about who he was. They were simply, they, they were simply talking to one another. One of the real problems in the contemporary church is we spend a lot of time talking to each other and not enough time talking to God. Spend a lot of time just saying, and, and a lot of times it's complaining. These people were complaining about God. They weren't, they weren't trying to, to, to encourage. They, they were just saying, and I'll get to that in a minute, they were, they were just they were complaining, God's not doing what God ought to be doing. Can you believe it? And they, they complained among themselves, they talked among themselves, and they, they, they spoke to each other rather than to God, and they did that not just in the church, they did that out in the community. You know, when they said, uh, all who do evil in the sight of the Lord, he delights in them, and where is the Lord of justice? They contradict the very character of God revealed in his own word. God says, I am a God who never changes, I am a God of justice, I am a God who, who does not delight in evil, I delight in what is good and right and obedient, I, I don't delight in evil things. And when they start saying these kind of things and saying that God's not being just enough in other, out of the other side of their mouth, they're, they're actually contradicting the whole character of God. You know, the purpose of preaching is not just to teach you something, but it's to hopefully hit your heart. I always get a a kick out of people that come by me and they say, boy, you really stepped on my toes today. My standard answer is, I missed then. Because I went after your toes, I was aiming for your heart. I wanted your heart to see something. And and that's where the problem was here. They were speaking to one another, they were complaining against God, and, and their heart was not what it needed to be. Let me ask you this. Don't raise your hand. Don't shout out an answer. But has there ever been a time in your life, maybe in recent days, where rather than taking something to God that you felt was an injustice or th- taking something to God that you felt uh, you, know, you weren't sure about, rather than doing that, you just talked to somebody else about it? Maybe somebody that wasn't even a believer? And you spread that, you know, all through the community. So you're spreading their, they were spreading their unbelief to each other and to the community. It really meant they were failing to do what they were called to do. And that is what they should have been doing was encouraging one another in their daily conversations to love God and trust God all the more. How many times have you, I'm just talking to you, not you, everybody, but you individually, how many of you have ever been guilty of, of, of distorting God's character in, in somebody's eyes, in an unbeliever's eyes, because you grumbled, complained about what God was or was not doing, rather than talking to Him about it? I just wonder. You know, God is has told us all through his scripture that, that we ought to be not using negative words to one another. We ought not be grumbling to one another. Um, Paul said to the Philippian Christians, do all things as a believer without grumbling and disputing. Ooh, that, that verse was put there for Baptists. Just got to tell you. Paul's word to Baptists. 
Do all things without grumbling and disputing. In Deuteronomy 6, that passage we always talk about in, in parenting, it's much more than just a parenting verse there. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, when, when Moses says in Deuteronomy 6, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, your children, and you should, but listen to the next part. And, and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Basically what Moses is saying there in, in talking to the people, he's saying, listen, you're to be talking about God's character and God's grace and God's word and God's truth. You're to be sharing what God is doing in your life, not grumbling about what you wish you were doing in your life, but what he's doing in order to encourage one another, in order to spread the truth of God's character throughout the community, throughout the culture. Or in Psalm 34, which we read about a year ago in our, in our responsive reading, in Psalm 34, the psalmist writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name for, uh, together. And then down in verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I mean, you got Moses saying, listen, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to talk about the goodness of God and his statutes and his word and his truth, uh, the things I, that he has commanded in your heart, talking about them when you, in your house, when you go out of your house, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're recreating, when you're doing whatever, you're to be talking about the goodness and the graciousness of God with everybody you come in contact with. And then the psalmist says, Moses said, do it. Here's how you do it. You do it by blessing the Lord at all times, praising the Lord at all times. You know, praise continually in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. I'm going to brag. I'm going to brag on God. I'm going to brag on Jesus Christ. Not I'm going to brag on myself. Remember my mother and my dad, one, telling me when I was a young child, Bill nobody, well, they said Billy, but Bill nobody likes a braggart. Don't brag about what you've done. Paul says that very same thing to the Galatian Christians. He said, I'll not boast in my own hope. I'll not boast in my own strength. I'll not boast in what I've done, but I will boast and boast only in the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Christ. Funny thing is, evidently, in verse 17, they were evidently unconscious of what they were doing. He said, uh, how? How have we wearied him? I mean, we're just doing our thing. We're just going through life. We're going through the motions of everyday life. We're doing what we always do. How have we wearied the Lord? Then Malachi has to tell them, it's through your inconsistency. Through your contradictions, it's through the words you speak that are not edifying and building up and encouraging one another. It's, it's through these words that tear down and give a false picture of the character of God. I wonder, 
I wonder if 2000, in 2015, if we're not guilty of this whole thing. Oh, well, how have I, wear, how have I wearied him? I haven't wearied him. I haven't done anything. Maybe that's the problem. How have I wearied the Lord? I, I go to church most times on Sunday. Occasionally, anyway. How have I wearied him? They were, they were unconscious of the fact they were even wearying the Lord. I think maybe in our own day, we have to ask ourselves that same question. How are we wearying him? Well, if we're not conscious of ways that we are being disobedient and, walk, uh, and, and not walking in him, God begins that third chapter by saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to send my messenger. Now, we mentioned the first sermon this, that Malachi means messenger of the Lord. But here Malachi is not talking about himself. Matter of fact, Malachi here is talking about a messenger that will come and clear the way for God. Prepare the way for God. Obviously speaking of John the Baptist, who the New Testament tells us came uh, declaring, here comes the Lord. He's coming. I'm going to send my messenger, this is prophetic, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the, messenger of the co- and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't know if, if God through Malachi is being just a little bit sarcastic there. I don't know. But he does say, you know, this Lord whom you seek. And the truth of the matter is, he's just got through saying they're not really seeking him. They're seeking their own way. They're seeking their own good. They're not, they're not seeking him. And maybe there's just a little bit of sarcasm there in what Malachi is saying. This Lord who you profess to be seeking, this Lord whom you say you believe in, this Lord whom you bring offerings to, albeit many times subpar offerings, he's coming. He's coming into his temple, he's coming into your presence, and he's coming with a word, and he's coming on a purpose. And verse 2 says, But when he comes, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, that's the priests, the religious leaders, and refine them like gold and silver, so they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness the implication is there as he's already said explicitly is that the offerings they're making are not in righteousness they're not in holiness they're not as we talked about in coming to the Lord's table under the righteousness of Christ hiding ourselves in the righteousness of Christ they're They were bringing their offerings and saying, look at me. Look what I'm doing. He says, the Lord's coming. He's going to be a refiner. He's going to to come like he's got soap and fire. and, 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 And he's going to come to a point of refining us just like gold and silver are refined. And they're refined with what? Fire. Fire's a picture of judgment. They're refined with the fire, and and by refining the gold and silver, all of the impurities go out, 
And all that's left is that which is pure, that which is righteous. There's going to be some tough times when the Lord comes, and He has already come. He's talking about His coming here in His first coming. And verse 4 says, And the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years, when there was some obedience. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who lie and swear falsely, against those who oppress the wage earner, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and and will not receive them because they're different from me. All of that indicates you don't fear me, says the Lord. I mean, God said, listen, I'm coming in in judgment. I'm I'm coming to condemn. I'm coming to, to, to burn away the dross of those who really are mine. But I want you to see something really important. Because in verse 6, he gives that phrase, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. There's a hopeful strand in Malachi's message here. It's not, oh my, everything is doom and gloom and I've had it. He's going to wipe me out. No, there's grace and mercy among judgment. He won't tolerate the unrepentant. He won't tolerate those who who continue to live lives that are just totally contrary to what their words say. But Malachi's message is that he would come not only condemn, but also to cleanse. Not only to bring judgment, but also to bring cleansing and righteousness. He would come as that refiner's fire, that purifier of silver and gold, and would make us like pure gold, righteous before him. All of this prophecy of this, I think, is played out as Jesus transformed lives during his ministry, and his promises continue today in in this culture, this generation in which we live today, it's true today of all who turn to him. We turn to him by faith, but we're not perfect. There still needs to be a refining, there still needs to be a cleansing, We turn to him, and even as we read in in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there will still be cleansing, there still will be purifying, there still will be bringing to righteousness before the Lord. I said earlier, I didn't want to hit your toes, I want to hit your heart. That's what Malachi wants. Malachi says, listen. God really does love you. God really does care about you. God really does want you to do away with this dissociative identity disorder that maybe you're suffering from. This split personality disorder. This secular sacred dichotomy. This this bifurcation that separates the secular and the sacred. He says, I want you to see those together. You're in Christ Whether you're sitting in this building or whether you're sitting at work or at home or in your community or in school, wherever you are, it's not a matter of, okay, I can put Christ aside now and go be whatever I want to be and do whatever I want to do. I don't have to to live in Christ there. That's totally false from a biblical understanding. 
we need to come back to seeing all is sacred. All of life is sacred. Our vocation is sacred. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're a doctor or a plumber. It doesn't matter if you're a, if you're a lawyer or a, or a sanitation engineer. Doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a janitor. Those are the calling that God has placed upon your life and put you in that place to encourage your brothers and sisters and encourage those who live in our culture who do not have a sense of the character of God at all that they might see in you just a bit of an understanding of the character of God. I mean, that's his, that's his purpose for us. And, and Malachi says, listen, understand this. This is vital. This is important. Don't weary the Lord. Don't live a life that wearies God. Live a life that blesses his name, that praises him, that speaks of him in relation to his character, that shows a world that we really believe that which we say we believe, that shows a world that we're, we're not just religious people. We are men and women who are, as the Scripture over and over and over says, we are in Christ, in union with the Son of God, in union with God in the flesh, in union with Him, in Him, and Him in us. To speak His truth to a generation doesn't have a clue. Doesn't have a clue. To speak his truth to a generation that doesn't understand what sin is, what judgment is, what the fall is, that it really was created perfect, and we look to a restoration of that in his coming again. Or do you complain to even unbelievers? God's just not fair to me. God's not giving me what I think I deserve. Oh, be thankful that he doesn't give you what you deserve. They don't get a clue from you that God is a God of grace and mercy and love and compassion and righteousness and holiness and judgment. Our world needs to hear that and see that lived out in our lives. So I ask you again, have you wearied God? I won't ask you to confess it, but I'll confess it. I have. May God grant me the grace to not complain to others, but to talk to Him. May God grant us the grace to not speak ill of him. I mean, let me tell you something. You can go to him in prayer. You can take your concerns. You can grumble. He can take it. 
but do it to Him, not to others. Have you wearied God? Really, only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. If you have, well, I can almost guarantee you have at some point. If you have, there is confession and repentance to Him. That's the hope. There's forgiveness and cleansing, purifying, and restoration in Him. Let's pray together. And as we pray, would you simply ask Him, Lord, <laughs> Lord, Maybe I'm like those people in Malachi's day. Maybe I'm totally clueless and unconscious of wearying you. Lord, would you show me if there are areas where they are that I'm wearying you? Would you be so bold to ask God to point that out to you? Through his word and by his Holy Spirit, areas where you're disobedient, And where you're given a false understanding of God's character to those you come in contact with. Father, hear our prayers and answer our prayers. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.